Hey, thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Everyone, everyone's got to have a true north. True north, you know, we, we all know that true north refers to the direction uh, of pointing to the north pole. Like, if you are ever lost, you're looking for your true north, you'll look for the thing that shows you where north is. Like, this is north pole. And so I know if I go this way, like if you ever get lost, if you ever get confused, you look for your true north. People use it to find their way. Uh, and that's kind of what this set of teachings for the next couple months are going to be about. It's to help us find and stick to our true north. It's kind of a way of saying like this is what we believe because what we believe determines what we believe influences, what we believe impacts what we do. Like what you believe in your mind, I mean, you see it in your finances. You can look at your checkbook. I believe I love food. And Mary points that out to me when she's like, hey, I checked the bank account the other day. And it looks like, when did you go to the barbecue place? Well, it had to be Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday because that's when it's open. Anyway, the fact that I know that is just really sad too. But look at your pocketbook. You know what you believe based on where your money goes. You, you know what you believe based on where your social equity goes. Like how much am I going to invest in this person or these people, in my f- family or in my friends, in my spouse? Like how much am I willing to invest? Because there's a lot of people, like I've been in churches before. I've been to a lot of places and I've seen a lot of people, they check out of their relationships. And like I'm a part of it on paper, but I'm not a part of it in my heart. Or I'm a part of this friendship on paper, like via text. But man, I message him once a month. Like I've seen that happen. I've seen that with coworkers. We see that with our, our parenting. We've seen that with stress and anxiety. You know the things that you stress over. Like that's what you're giving more of your mind and more of your attention and more of your thoughts towards. And it just kind of lets you get into a spiral at times. Your grief. I see that in my line of work. Uh, you see where people's grief kind of just goes haywire. Because they're, they're focused on one thing. And you're like, man, you're focused on the wrong thing. And then even sometimes we have friends that they hope in the wrong things. Maybe you have a family member or friend that they are hoping in the wrong things themselves. So it's important to get our true north right. I want you to flip with me to Psalm 102. And while you flip there, I want to tell you, it kind of reminds me of a guy. And we'll just call him Chuck. His name is not Chuck, but we'll call him Chuck. Because we're friends on Facebook. But I remember I was going to a wrestling show. Because that's what I do. And by the way, if you're a man, the best place to ever have a ladies is for you. Or even for you guys with man friends. Best place to ever have like a very serious conversation is in a car. Because I'm 90% sure, not 100, but I'm 90% sure they're not going to open the door and fly out of the car if they get tired of your conversation. Now there's 10% like they could be crazy. But more than likely, you have a serious conversation, they're not going to go anywhere. So you just keep driving. Also, that's called kidnapping, so maybe don't do that. But So me and this guy named Chuck, we were going to a WWE event, and we were talking on our way back. And I had such a fun time. I talked with his mom. His mom was like, hey, just give you a heads up. He's had a troubled childhood. There's a lot of stuff that went on. His dad is a deadbeat, and so he, he blames his dad for a lot of things, and his dad just passed. And she's like, and he blames the church. He blames, he blames God for a lot of things. So just a heads up, he grew up in church, but he doesn't do the church thing anymore. Got it. So we're driving back. And we started talking about some stuff that happened in the ring. 
So I always like to try to bring in whatever it is that we experience in a, in a, in a group setting into private conversation. That's my segue. And I'm like, hey, you're like, James, you've done that to me before. Yes, I have. That's what I do. Um, that's one of my secrets. And now you know. So I have to find a new one. And we were talking, and we started talking about what is right and what is wrong. And I know you're thinking, well, James, wrestling is wrong. Yes, but that's not the point. We're talking about, like, morality. We were talking about what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And he came up, Chuck finally said, he said, James, for me, what is morally right is what does the least amount of harm to the greater good. So what do you mean? He's like, well, whatever is best for most people because we can't have what's best for all people. So whatever is best for most people, that is what determines what is right or wrong. I said, Chuck, I gotta respectfully disagree because it's subjective. Like now you're subjecting your opinion, your thought to, to, to something. And the problem is like when you're subjective, when you're saying it's, it, it, is, it is right for these people but is wrong for these people, you're basing it on something. You're saying for the greater good, well, that could be the people that look like you. That could be the people that act like you. That could be the people that make the same money that you do. That could be the people that believe the same way that you do. That could be the people, like you could, you could frame it a million different ways, but in some sort of respect, you're going to, if it's subjective, if morality is subjective, you're saying something is right for most, but not all. And the people that are the not all people are the ones that don't fit this category of the all people, the rest of the people. It's subjective. And when you're subjective about anything, and you've seen this if you have kids around, or if you've seen someone, we were at Chick-fil-A last night, and we, we saw like this little kid, and he, <laughs> he was flipping the bird to everybody. It was fun to watch. Um, I'm like, that's not my kid, praise the Lord. Uh, it, is, it is right for some people and wrong for others. And at the end of the day, being subjective lays your head on someone's pillow. It's not good for anyone. To have a true north, to have a guiding principle so strong that it, that it won't waver and so you can't either, it needs to be immutable. And I know that's a huge word. It's immutable. What does that mean? It means unchanging. Like for you to have a true north, like can you imagine trying to, you're lost in the woods. Mary and I watched the Netflix show not too long ago. It was, a, it was a morally not good show for the majority of people. So let's just not be objective here. Like it's, it was not good. She was lost in, in the, the Pacific Northwest in Alaska. But like, she was trying several episodes in to try, try to find her true north. She's trying to look at the sky and figure out the true north for her. Can you imagine being lost somewhere? Especially for those of you that are not like me and you get out in the woods a whole lot. Can you imagine being lost or confused? Ah, I think I've seen this tree before. And, oh wait, where's north? And you look for north and all of a sudden north moves. You would stay lost, wouldn't you? More than likely. I'm 90% sure you'd stay lost. Unless you found a car to jump out of. I'm 90% sure. You would be lost. When your true north is subjective, when it changes, it's a problem. You need something and I need something for our true north, for our compass. Internally, we need something to be immutable. And you know what? God is immutable. 
God is unchanging. He never changes. And this immutability of God allows us to seek guidance. This immutability, the fact that he doesn't change, it allows us to seek comfort from him. It allows us to seek salvation from God. Because now all of a sudden we're like, I've got something I can bank on. He never changes. And that's what we're looking at today. But before we get into Psalm 102, and you can write these down, I want to give you several proofs. I'm going to try to spend just a small portion of time on this. I'm going to give you several proofs or arguments for God. These are just four. Okay, number one, the cosmological argument. Very, very, very basically it says everything has a cause. That cause had to come from God. That is very simplistic, but it's because God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. They're saying that there had to be somebody that moved the, the earth and the universe and morality and, and gravity and everything into existence. So that's cosmological argument. Teleological, uh, teleo, teleo, teleos, comes from the Greek word meaning goal. Everything has a goal. Everything has a purpose. And because everything has a purpose... There had to be somebody that gave it its purpose. This is what we call intelligent design, that there is an omniscient, all-seeing God. He sees everything, and he's like, I'm going to make a purpose for that. I was looking at the body. The body is fantastic the way God made it. Just absolutely fantastic how he made it. There are so many things that if it was just off just a little bit, it wouldn't work. I mean, even down to like childbirth and childrearing and like how your body resets itself after that, it's just amazing how the body works. It's amazing that we're mainly water, which I like water. But it's amazing that our bodies are primarily water, and yet we're not oozing all over the floors everywhere because there's certain makeups in our body that God made just perfect. Or if our planet was just a little bit closer to the sun or a little bit farther away from it, it just would not work for any of us. We would not be here. And everything just has a purpose. Ontological means knowing and, and this is just a simple argument. You can go on and on and on and debate about this. But it's that God is the greatest possible concept that you could ever think of. Like when you were a kid and, and you're like, oh yeah, well infinity. Oh yeah, well infinity times infinity. Well infinity times infinity plus one. Oh man. And like it's kind of like, but really, God is the greatest possible concept you could ever think of. And so that's a really good debate. We could have another day. Number four, and this is the one that I looked at with Chuck. Moral. That there has to be an objective Morality. There has to be some sort of way to say this is absolutely right and this is absolutely wrong. There's no gray area. And because of that, you're like, well, where could an absolutely morality come from? It had to be something that is good or omnibenevolent, all good. And that's where we get God. God is all good. One of my first papers I ever wrote in my undergrad that I'm still paying for one of my very first papers I wrote was, Can We Be Good Without God? Man, there's nobody. There's no one good, not even one. And now that's scripture. But just logically speaking, you can't be good without someone who created an Like, this is what it looks like to be good. Knowing God is our true north. Provides the greatest possible orientation for living. Now, scripture is brimming with with evidences of this all over scripture there's everywhere you see in scripture it talks about how good god is 
and how good God is and how immutable he is and how unchanging he is and how omniscient, all-seeing he is and how all-powerful, omnipotent that he is. You see it all through scripture. So I could go through here and use this as like a topical lesson today. And we're going to look at just lots and lots of different scriptures. But we're going to bank in Psalm 102 in this passage right here. It's a lament, a cry. And that's what I love about the Psalms. These are prayers. And this specific one, it's a this specific one, it's a, it's a prayer to crying out to God. Prayer reveals that we trust a God greater than us. When we pray, it doesn't matter if I, it's a happy prayer. Uh, I, when I was at Chick-fil-A last night, I was happy because we're eating. It was a happy prayer. Or if it's a sad prayer because you just had the, the weight of the world crush you. And you're crying out. And that's what's going on here in Psalm 102. If you look at the, entire, uh, the entirety of Psalm 102. Prayer reveals that you trust this God. For whatever reason that you believe in Him, you you trust this God that is greater than you. God, I trust you to handle this for me. Leslie Allen, she writes this about Psalm 102. She says, A desperately sick man turns to Yahweh as his only hope. You're desperately sick and you're turning to God. God Almighty. God, I I, I think, I know, I trust, I believe, I hope. Putting my eggs in the basket. You can help me out here. So, the question is, who is God? We're going to start in verse 24. Who is God? He says, My God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Now, I love it because this verse starts off with my God. But if you look further or earlier in Psalm 102, you get, Lord, hear my prayer. Let me cry. Let my cry for help come before you. Don't hide your face. So you see verses 1 and 2. It's like, I'm first person speaking out to you, God. I'm asking you to do something. And then you get verses 3 through 11, just a cursory scan of 3 through 11. For my days vanish like this. My heart is like this because of I am like you have first person. 12 to 14, second person. But you, Lord, you will rise up. Your fame endures. It is time, to, it is time for you to show favors. Your servants. You, you, you. Second person. 15 to 23, the largest chunk here verses 15 to 23 then the nations will fear the name of the Lord all the kings of the earth your glory for the Lord will will rebuild Zion he will he will he will this 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 third person why do I tell you all this English stuff well James that's boring no it's not if you look at it when we're when we get here into verse 24 all of a sudden he switches again and he makes it real personal real quick he's like my God he's like this is this God is about me and you and really, God, it's more or less about me. It's more about you. I claim you. Like when he says, my God, like his very first statement is like one of claim. I am claiming you, my God. All this other stuff's gone on and happened. And if we had an hour and a half to talk today, we would look at the rest of this psalm. He's like, I claim you in the midst of all this other stuff. You are my God. The only way to have the unfailing true north of life is to make God your God. That's the only way to have a true north. It's to say, God, you're you're my God. That's why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He knows, he's like, you're not going to fathom, you're just not going to believe or hope me. Like, you need to know that I am the truth and you need to know that I am life, but... But beyond that, you need to know that I'm the way. Like, I'm the true north. Did you know that the words 
my God are used over a hundred times in, in Scripture. I told you I'm a frequency guy. I look like it's a common theme. It's a thing over and over and over again. In the book of Psalms, over 50 times. Over 50 times. My God. Which is really neat. That the psalmist, some of, sometimes it's David writing, sometimes it's, it's someone else. We don't even know who it is. Some of them, majority of them are David's. These are songs. These are prayers. Sometimes they're happy ones. We looked last week at Psalm 119 about Scripture and what do we believe about Scripture. And and you see over and over and over again that Scripture, like, so sometimes it's about Scripture and then sometimes it's about our pain and our depression. Sometimes it's like, God, you saved me out of this. That's what I love about these Psalms. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God. Like if you want eternal life, like Jesus is saying, this is eternal life, that they know you. In Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He says a couple chapters later, John chapter 20 verse 17, he says, well don't cling to me, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. It's like salvation isn't ha- hasn't happened yet. Right now I'm a good teacher and I've done some miraculous things. Yes, I'm the Son of God and I've been tempted and tried in every way. But salvation hasn't come yet because I haven't become the sacrifice for you. I have not ascended to the Father. He says, but go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Jesus is like, look, he... I mean, we are God. We're triune. But this is my God, and I claim him, and I want you to claim him. And if you want eternal life, if you want to live forever, then you need to claim him also. So what do we believe at C112? We believe that there is one true living God. This is, good. This is not our statement of beliefs. I was running through this the other day, and I'm like, I wrote this three years ago, and none of you have seen it. And so that's what we're going to look at the next two months. There is one true living God. He is the creator of the universe, the universe and the sustainer and author of life. The story of existence points to him. And he is set apart and holy, separate from anything else, deserving glory. He is triune, God in three persons, revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we go back and he says, my God, don't take me from the middle of my life. My God makes the claim that God rules and that we are His. When He says and when we say, My God, my God shows that we trust God. He says, Don't take me in the middle of my life for, He says, Your years. It's an interesting word there. The psalmist tries to understand God's eternality. Big word. The fact that God is forever in His little frailty. In his finiteness, in the fact that we, this could have been us writing this, by the way, in the fact that we are so finite and we're so frail, we're, we're breakable. I'm really breakable. <laughs> but like, we're so breakable. And he's like, God, I can't think of another way to understand how unchanging you are and how forever you've been. So I'm just going to use a human term, years. Years, that's a human term. He's trying to figure out, like, I don't, know, I don't know how to describe you, God, but I'm just going to try, to try my best. I love listening to kids describe things using terms that only they, like, like using the terms that they know. Like, I can't say, hey, Grayson, tell me what is salvation. He doesn't, like, that's a big term for an eight-year-old. 
some of us have more spiritual kids in this grade. But no, I'm just kidding. Like, that's a big word. And so, like, when I, when I learned this as a student pastor, I, so, like, when I would see churchy words, like, for example, salvation, I'd tell the teenagers, I would tell them, rescue. Jesus rescues us. If you're like, well, how do I tell my kid about, like, how do I, like, my kid's asking questions about God and Jesus, and, like, how do I help them to get faith in Him? Like, what does that mean to have, put our faith in Him or put our trust in Him or be saved? What does that mean? I've heard it said this way. It was about kids with, with Asperger's, like I was reading, and this, is, this, is a, this was a guy. It was um, oh, the guy on Caleb, and he said, this is how I explained it to my kid. He said, I explained that Jesus is the king of my life because they understand those concrete concepts. Like, That's really cool. Like, you get in on the level of whoever it is you're talking to. Stephen Amell, he played the Green Arrow, which uh, our fourth kid is named after the Green Arrow. Stephen Amell said this. He said he was talking to his daughter, and, and so she said, Hey, Dad, are you going to get your armpit makeup? I'm talking about his deodorant. Because like, like, she knows what makeup is, but she, doesn't, like, she couldn't understand the concept of deodorant. He's like, Man, that's really good. I'm going to start remembering like, that's armpit makeup. This other kid, they said, uh, of Parmesan cheese, they said, Hey, Ma, could you please pass the pizza sugar? <laughs> like you use concepts that people can understand and so like the psalmist here is like I don't understand God how eternal you are I don't get it I don't understand it I can't fathom it none of us can it's like but I'm going I'm to use it in terms that I do know and it's years God your years your years end in five no 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 he says your years continue through all generations all generations verse 25 so in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth. Long ago, is what the CS, CSB says, long ago, you laid the foundations of the earth. Like I can't, even begin, I can't even begin to begin to understand what the beginning was. It's that long ago. That's what I love about Star Wars. Long time ago. How long ago? We have no clue. Like, that's one of the biggest conundrums. Like, when my kids try to watch, like, they immediately zone out. It's like, I don't get it. I don't understand. A long time ago. My kids are, they have my brain sometimes, and my brain doesn't just fathom things very easily. I'm like, well, when is that, Dad? I'm like, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Well, I need to know a year. I can't give you a frame of reference. I'm so sorry. This guy here, he's like, I don't know God, but I know in the beginning, some time ago, a long time ago, God, you were eternal. Forever is beyond a long time. We can trust the God who is forever. God, our true north, leads us well forever. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. I love that little word for work. It's creative. But God, you're creative. God's hands are creative. God is creative. Like, I was looking this up. I love clouds. I love looking at clouds. I've always, I remember in second grade, just like laying in the field looking up at clouds. Just, I just love them. There's at least 10 types of clouds. At least. There's lots of them, by the way. Cumulonimbus actually goes from like the ground to 50,000 feet in the air. Those are like my, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I also like the ones that look like God used his, his brushstroke. I think those are the cirrus ones. Or astrocumulus. It's the one where it looks like he's just painting in the sky. Like clouds. You're like, wow, that's a really cool brush. It's so like I'm teaching my kids that. I'm teaching my kids to look and to see his handiwork. Psalm 19 talks about God's handiwork. 
We almost went to Psalm 19 today. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 3. You can look at that. It's one of the best, best natural phenomena scriptures in there. Romans chapter 1 is another one, but that has like a really dark tint to it. There's 8.7 million species on this planet estimated of different plants and animals. 8.7 million different plants and animals. You're like, well, I got like 2 million in my backyard. 10 million different colors that the human eye can distinguish. In Crayola, they, I, they, they, they had to know this, and they're like, nope, we're going to do eight. We're going to put eight in a box. We're going to make it a wax, and they're going to eat them. It's going to be fun. Ten million colors that we can, vary, like we can distinguish with our eyes. 73,000 tree species, and 9,000 of them are estimated to still yet be undiscovered. This one's really hard. 17,427. You can write that down. 17,427 people groups in the world. Different, distinct people groups. And of those, 7,414. That's the number that we need to emblazing on our our minds. They still have not been reached at all with the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus saves. It's been said that you can find a can of Coke in places where the Bible has never been. How sad is that? 42% of this world still has not been reached for Jesus. What do you mean? That's like 3.3 billion people still have not. You can find this on joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net. You can just go in there and at first it's fascinating, but then before you know it, you get sad. Knowing, knowing that there's that many people that they've never heard of Jesus Christ. God, you're so fascinating, so creative. Verse 26, they will perish, but you remain. You endure is another way of putting it. You endure. God is everlasting. He stands forever. He remains. You can look at Psalm 111 and 112. Those are two psalms together. I told you that last week. And he over and over again talks about God. Your righteousness endures forever. And your praise endures forever. He says that a couple of different times in both Psalm 111 and 112. We have a God who never tires. He never slumbers. He never grows weary. He never gives up. The God of heaven wants to be your true north and he'll never give up on you. I love that. God never gives up on you. He says they wear out like a garment, like clothes. God is all powerful. And he changes everything else like garments. Like, I'm going to paint like this today. I'm going to change that today. Like, everything else changes. In fact, the heavens and the earth will pass away. But God never does. He's like, like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, and Luke chapter 1, verse 37, they both say that nothing is impossible with God. Everything else changes, but nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Jeremiah 32, 17, he says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Here's your first application. What is too hard for you? What is too hard for you in your life right now? Is it something socially? Is it something spiritually? Like, I just can't get over the spiritual hurdle? Something physically? What is too hard for you? There's nothing too hard for God. If it's too hard for you, I want you to ask God for help. 
Like the psalmist is like, man, nothing is too hard for you. Like everything else changes, but you're the one that can change things. You are all powerful. And if we serve, if our true north is this all power for God, all powerful God, like nothing can, like there's nothing that God can't do. Nothing. Job chapter 42, verse 2. So Job, I don't know if you know this in the Bible, but there's a guy named Job. It's probably actually the earliest written book, uh, some people say. Job, he um, lost everything. He was a righteous man. He followed after God. He lived the right kind of way, and he lost everything. His wife wanted him to curse God. Just spit and curse God. Just spit and curse God. And his friends, like they weren't really good friends. Psalm, uh, at the very end in Job 42, very end of the book, he says... I know, he's talking to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It tells me, even looking here at Psalm 102, that God is worth trusting. I don't know where you are in your life, but God is worth trusting. Verse 27. But you remain the same. That's the the theme of these verses. God is eternal. He's all-powerful, And he is worthy of our finite trust. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was telling Stephen that before we got started. It was so interesting. Like we, we spoke a few weeks ago about him being here today. And he said, hey, I know that this song is in y'all's playlist of songs that you're doing for the next few months. Man, this song really resonates. I'm like, cool. I didn't even know back then that we were going to be looking at the scripture today because things have changed. And here it is. And that scripture is right here. And we sang about this God who never changes. The God who helped when you were a kid. He can help you now. And he has a plan that's going to help you out in the future. The eternal God is our true north. Verse 28. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. I love this verse because the children of your servants. Sometimes we pray, God, if you would help me. And we wonder if God works. But this psalmist is saying, I have this prayer before you and I have proof that you work. How do we know that there's proof that you work? The children of your servants. Abraham had that issue. God, you, you, you've promised me all these things. You're the all-powerful. You're the all-eternal God. But I, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to bless me like you say you're going to bless me. Like, I don't even have any kids. I'm almost 100 years old. And then in Scripture, God's like, oh, but I'm going to bless you. Just watch. Just watch. I've got a plan for you now. And I've got a plan mapped out for you in the future. Just watch. And so we know that God's plan for him worked. Because now he had not one kid but two. And that one kid had many kids. And those many kids had even more many kids. Not many kids, but like a plethora of kids. Like God redeems his promises for us. He is worth it all. Do you remember verse 24? Just go on and look back in your scripture. You remember verse 24? He says, my God, don't take my life. Don't take me in the middle of my life. Verse 11, he says something similar. He says, my days are like a lengthening shadow and I wither away like grass. The psalm's theme is about time. 
When will God work on my behalf? And he clearly shows it here. God, the children of your servants will live in your presence. To see the next generation means that God came through on his promises today. Tomorrow reveals that God worked today. And for some, tomorrow is Monday. God, how are you going to work, how are you going to work tomorrow? Uh, for others, tomorrow is forever. Regardless, God, our true north, wants to work on behalf of his people, not for us, but for his name and for his glory. Because of God's all-powerful work, we have security. We have security. It says, your servants' children will dwell securely. They will live in your presence. They will be established this is also used, and I love this. I do this at a Bible study that I, I have with senior adults every week. We, we're going through the Old Testament, and we're looking where Jesus is in the Old Testament. We'll look at a story, but like, where is, Je- where is Jesus in this story? And so we'll always find ourselves back in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1. The Son is superior to angels. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, well, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Those are direct quotes from the Old Testament. Again, verse 6, when he brings his firstborn into the world and he says, let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the son, verse 8, but to the son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy and beyond your companions. And, verse 10. Tell me if this sounds familiar. In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth. In the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse, verses 11 and 12. Direct quote from Psalm 102, using the original languages. The story of existence points to Jesus. The question is, as we close, is this, do we? Do we point to Jesus? How will you point to Jesus today? How will you point to Jesus Tomorrow? How will you point to Jesus forever? Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true, that it is how you revealed yourself to us, God, and how you continue to speak to us today. I'm grateful, God, that you are a true north and that we can bank on you, that we can lean into you, that we can trust you because you're unchanging. You are all seeing. You are all powerful. You are all loving. You are all good. God, it's my prayer that we trust you and that we trust your son, and that we point to you the rest of our days. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you, and that you have a great week. God bless.